back. James Harden right on target. Big, big George Niang to Paul Reed from Tyrese Maxey. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the PickSwap Podcast. My name is Sean Bernard, as usual, and I'm here with Sam Giovanni of Clutch Points. You know him from here before, uh, a, fi- a nice uh, friend of the podcast at this point, or a, re- a regular guest. So, Sam, good to have you back. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me again. A uh, very wild game uh, yesterday that I'm very excited to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So, let's get into it. We got a couple games to to catch up on here. The Mavericks game last night was one of the more fun games I think I've, I've watched this year. Disappointing that the Sixers did not come out on top, but that first half especially, just one of the most impressive all-around offensive performances from all those guys, from from Luka, from Kyrie, from Harden, from Embiid. Everything was clicking. So what are your kind of biggest takeaways on that, and just what was it like kind of watching that for you? Uh, It was, I mean, it just felt like no one could get a stop. It was just going to be all offense the whole time. Both offenses were clicking, obviously. Uh Kyrie and Luca were hitting some crazy shots, but I feel like the Sixers had some answers. A lot of it was, you know, getting Joel inside. Obviously, the Mavs were a small team. They couldn't really match up with him size-wise, but Harden, Maxi Harden had, like, a great first quarter, kind of tailed off, but, like, he didn't miss a shot, had, like, seven assists, so he was definitely a big part of it. Maxi too, seeing him back in the starting lineup. Um, what's interesting, Doc said after the game that um, – they kind of it's not he didn't say this specifically, but he, it was clear he wanted to fight fire with fire to kind of get them ahead to keep up with the the two Dallas stars. Um, and it was funnily enough, Maxi had his best stretch of the game with the bench lineup in the fourth quarter. But um, yeah, it was they had they pulled off that game, that would have been crazy. And the uh, discussions around Kyrie and Luca would have been very very bad. But obviously, they made enough big plays. They just six had no answers for them. Yeah, and uh, I do want to dive deeper into that kind of Maxi versus Melton conversation, but it is kind of, I guess, nice to see Maxi back in the starting lineup, but also if this is a, a matchup thing, thrown into the fire saying go, go, go guard Kyrie Irving is a, an interesting choice, but that yeah. game as a whole, the three-point shot making, I mean, I, this is the biggest reason that I guess I'm just like not worried about that loss from a Sixers perspective. The Maverick, Maverick shooting 25 for 48 from three, 52.1%. Them making as many threes as the Sixers almost attempted with uh, 12 for 27 Philadelphia shot. So that's kind of where the, the biggest thing for me. Um, where, I guess, would you put that on schematically? Because we see the Sixers defense kind of running around, looking like they're kind of a chicken without a head at times, kind of chase the the open guy. Where would you put that schematically versus kind of just style of play? The Mavericks are obviously a high-volume three-point team in general. But I guess where would you weight that on the Sixers' defensive issues versus the Mavericks just kind of going for it? I mean, I think part of it, it wasn't just Kyrie and Luka, too. It was guys like Reggie Bullock and Maxi Kleba. They came through with big shots. But obviously, a lot of it was so open because the Sixers just couldn't figure out how to stop the ball. Like, obviously, asking anyone to guard Kyrie and Luka on an island is tough. And they brought him beat up. They brought, you know, guys up in that bench unit more in the fourth quarter. And they were able to get some takeaways that helped spur that run. But overall, like, they were bringing, it was mostly like Joel up to the level of the screen. But they weren't trapping Luka and making him pick up the ball and they weren't making him kind of, like, reset the offense. Like, he was able to find a pass somewhere else. He was able to either, like, get by them and make a, a pass somewhere else. So, like, obviously it's very tough to guard someone like that, but I'm not really going to give them a break about, like, oh, it's just Luka Doncic. Like, you're going to have to figure out ways to stop guys like that to be a, a champion. So mm-hmm. part of it was just, you know, it was kind of like the um, 
the Cavs game, I saw someone mention, and it was just like that, where like, yeah, they didn't bring their A game defensively, but also the other team just bought their A plus plus game offensively. So they definitely like, you know, it's obviously it's tough to guard someone like Luca because he can make every pass. Kyrie can like wiggle out of any you know defensive trap that you throw, but they you've got to figure out a way to either like really slam the door shut on them with the ball, and make them pick it up from deep. Um, or do great rotations off the ball, and the Sixers don't really have the personnel to do that anyway. The one guy who's, like, built to kind of do that is um, Jalen McDaniels, but he's still not, like, the most pristine defender, and he, of course, even had that hilarious sequence where he had 4,000 less than 30 seconds. Not, not that that's indicative of that, but still, like, they like you're asking James Harden to kind of, like, guard two, like, a guy up top and a guy in the corner, and he's not, like, built to do that. Like, even if it was a guy like Tobias or PJ, like – it's just so much ground for them to cover. So there definitely were some, some you know, decisions to either overhelp, but also just not even stopping the ball when you bring two guys up was a big problem. So I, you know, this is definitely more than just, oh, the Mavs just happened to catch fire. Like part of the reason they were able to catch fire was because the Sixers tried different things, but it felt like they just didn't execute them nearly enough. And obviously with two guys like Luca and Kyrie, like got to be very, very good. And they, they had, um, not only were they super efficient, I saw they were the first Mavs teammates to score 40 in the same game. So they just had a great game, but part of it was because the Sixers kind of gave them that space. Like, they gave them an inch, and obviously players like that will take a, a yard or a mile. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a lot there. And it it feels like all too often the Sixers defense, like there's guys kind of caught in that in-between land where they're like kind of helping and kind of not, which basically opens up two shots rather than taking away either one. And, and Harden's especially guilty of that. Uh, they do have to figure that out, but I, I do think, for me, like the root of it last night. I mean, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving are spectacular, and I guess not fully an excuse because, like you said, if they're going to be a championship contender, they have to figure out how to guard guys like that. But it definitely was the, at the epicenter of of them breaking things down, creating everything, and the defense kind of shifted from there. Uh, one of the the positive signs that I think was very clear last night was that bench unit kind of showing some signs of life. Jalen McDaniels, I, even despite the four fouls, I think was. Uh, pretty close to the heart of it and playing a big role. And it was almost like the the wave the flag, uh, let's call it a night lineup that ended up jolting some light, starting off that fourth quarter on a 15-0 run, stuff like that. What are you kind of seeing from the second unit? And this also dates back to the the Heat game the night before where there was also a sign of life from kind of that MB uh, didn't play in that game, so somewhat of a, a different situation. But that kind of unit is kind of showing some signs of life. Yeah, the frustrations there will always be there. But overall, like the lineups, you know, especially in a game like yesterday where they just looked like, dead to rights like them being able to come back was very very promising and whether you have a guy like maxi or melon you're going to have one starter level guy which is always good um paul reed is coming off of one of his like better games specifically the second one against the heat and he and jalen like you can see like yes they're prone to fouling yes they're not super polished on offense they have their flashes but they're still not like super reliable all the time but there's the athleticism that they have like and even with you know bringing in daniel house jr too over uh george in the last few games like i think that lineup like kind of gives the Sixers a different look and even though those players are individually flawed like doc is still showing more of like a reluctance or uh not reluctance um like the decision to put Harden with them so he is at least staggering their stars at least in like the bigger matchups like he did say i think after the self I don't remember which game, but he said, like, we're going to put James in that second unit when the going gets tough. So having him out there definitely helps. And I think, you know, it's definitely up to Doc to create the right combinations. But overall, I feel like he does have the pieces to at least, you know, make a 
interesting unit, even with, you know, Jalen kind of struggling in the last few games. Paul Reed, obviously, great game against the Heat, but, you know, he's still also kind of a mixed bag. Um, and, like, with either where you go, Georgia House, like, Georgia's shooting is just falling off a cliff. Um, and when he's making shots, he's great, but um, obviously he's not doing that. So going to Daniel, I think, is interesting. Overall, like, I guess a more encouraging last stretch of games, but obviously it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a work in progress the rest of the year. Yeah, the results aren't there, but I, I think I'm sitting more encouraged than I would expect to be based on uh, two and three after the All-Star break, uh, some tough losses to the Celtics, everything that, that comes with it. But like that second unit for me is probably the biggest bright spot right now. Uh, Jalen McDaniels, not that he's been the cure-all by any means. He's still a pretty unique player and a pretty niche guy that hasn't, I don't think, fully found his footing in, the, in this lineup yet. But the when you roll out the unit, like, with Paul Reed, with McDaniels, with Daniel House Jr. Like, we're looking at, like, the most athletic Sixers roster that we've seen in years. Like, there just hasn't been this level of switchability, versatility, being able to fly up and down the court. And I also really love dropping James Harden in with that unit to just orchestrate things, run the show, uh, pick up the tempo, make those hit-ahead passes. And and to me, that is the, the right outlook. Uh, that was one of my frustrations, I think, for most of the, the first half of the season is kind of that determination to pair Joel and James Harden for – their entire time on the floor and i get it because they are awesome together and they definitely uh hardens extremely helpful to Embiid for creating shots running the pick and roll everything that comes with it but you also just like i don't think there should be a minute where one of your best two players are not on the floor if you're trying to give yourself the best chance at winning the game and it totally makes sense to to stagger things and i i think that's where i think the the tyrese maxi role conversation gets overblown is he, to me, is the the third link and the guy that can play with either one of these guys and both of them as well when, when that time calls. So uh, to, to bring up that conversation a little, where do you kind of sit on the should Tyrese Maxey start? Should he come off, for, uh, come off the bench or do you think it's just an overblown conversation? Uh, I've been more leaning towards recently putting him back in the starting lineup. Like the the upgrade with him over Melton, like he is just a generally better player. And the, the argument with Melton is that, well, it's – you know, more defensive look and like, yeah, that might balance out a little more, but if they're still going to have the same point of attack problems, like, you know, I don't think it's really worth it. Like I do think Melton is still a good player, but he also isn't the most, you know, like natural, like ball stopper. And I think, you know, putting Maxi, like, obviously you want him to have those reps on the ball, but also like the gravity he has, he just stretches defenses more with his like quick first step right off a catch or his confidence to like catch and shoot. And his looks will obviously be cleaner if they're assisted by Harden or Embiid, as opposed to him having to create them off the bench or having, you know, it felt like there was a good stretch where he and Shake had it going a little bit together, but obviously that's not the case anymore. And especially it feels like Shake is one of the guys to be squeezed out of the rotation soon. So they won't have that to fall back on. But yeah, I think, um, putting him back in the starting lineup is the move. Doc obviously loves his all-bench lineups, but it does feel like, you know, he'll show a bit more willingness to mix them up, at least with, like, the hard-led second unit as the floor general or Embiid and, like, the other, you know, like, bench forwards. I think that putting him in the starting lineup is, you know, it still gives him the chance to be more of an offensive first guy um, in certain uh, units, but also just, like, the value he has as an off-ball score i think is very valuable for for james and joel so putting them together and like obviously the closing lineup you can go a bunch of different ways but if you know it's weird it's funny how that with maxi instead of melton the defense is better in that lineup so like you know it, it may not make sense but the numbers suggest it and offensively again the numbers also suggest they're kind of close but i think the upside is more there with tyrese so i think 
you know, all, all in all, he just needs to be good no matter what situation he's in. And I think yeah. him kind of, you know, getting out of like kind of a mental rut has definitely helped. Um, all, you know, bottom line, I think he should be back in the starting lineup in place of Melton. Yeah, and I think um, you touched on that at the end there. Like the kind of the root of why everyone was up in arms about it, I guess, is the bottom line was neither DeAnthony Melton nor Tyrese Maxey were playing to the level that is expected or, or that they've shown to be. Like neither one of them were, were reaching their peak there, and one of them kind of has to. They have to get that kind of production. And I do get, in theory, the the mindset of bringing Maxey off the bench. The Sixers have constantly been, constantly been looking for that balance, having a bench score. And Maxey does, is capable of bringing that kind of like – spark to a game that can change which we've seen in these past couple games last night against the Mavericks it was even with that bench unit which he kind of took over to to kick things off and, and go pretty nuclear and bring the Sixers back in that game so it's like I don't think D'Anthony Melton's that type of player to come in and, and change things like that which is where I I, I initially kind of lean toward put uh, Melton in the starting role let's give Maxi like a plug and play make him a spark guy but I do think like if he's not playing his best in that role and I think it's been weird I also and this goes back to like the the James Harden with the second unit thing. I don't think it's the best for Maxi to just be like, here's like four like niche guys and go figure it out. Like he kind of needs a little more stability still at this point in his career. And uh, I, I mean, he still as long as we get that like one Tyrese Maxi run per game, like that's what the Sixers really need for him. And we've seen that across the, these past couple games. So I'm happy to see him getting back to himself. And uh, I think he is ready to kind of be this like third guy within the Sixers core yeah and it, I've seen the argument that like obviously it's more so in the past now because he's had such a great stretch of games but the the argument thinking of like well if he's not playing well does he deserve to be in the starting lineup I don't agree with that way of looking at it because he lost his spot in the starting lineup to no fault of his own he got injured and the mm-hmm. guy that Doc chose to replace him like he made that more permanent aside from you know the games where guys were injured and of course yesterday. So I think it's just, you know, what works best for the Sixers. And I think it's Maxi as that third guy, you know, having him alongside James and Joel is huge, not only for him, but for the, um, just the team overall. And at this point, like, you know, obviously the Sixers have, you know, their six guys they're kind of looking to start. So it's not like a, uh, I don't think it should be, a sign of disrespect to put Melton back on the bench where he originally was to start the year. So at this point, it's just what works best for the team. And in my opinion, it's Maxi as the starter. Yeah. And it also should be acknowledged like D'Anthony Melton is not like the cure all. Like he's a very good right. player, a very necessary player on this team, but he's not a, a perfect guy. And he's not a can guard every matchup. He's still a guy that stands six foot two. Yes. He's got a long wingspan. Yes. He's pretty switchable, very athletic, uh, plays bigger than his size, but there's certain matchups that like, D'Anthony Melton is not the answer for, and there, there's really minimal difference for whether it's kind of Melton or Maxi. And we're also asking more of Melton than he ever has been asked before in a, in his NBA career, which takes a toll on him. We, like we kind of saw that leading up to the All Star break and picking things back up. So as much as he is an option, like there's still flaws, there's still things to to be concerned, and it's not like the the cure all when he's out there. And I do want to shift gears and talk on the backup center situation here. I would be remiss as a permanent member of the the B-Ball Paul Victory Tour, to not bring up that Heat performance. Uh, 16 points, 14 rebounds, uh, tied a career high in rebounds, uh, made his impact defensively, doing a little more on the offensive end. What are you thinking about B-Ball Paul and his role from here? Man, he he really changed the game in that Heat game. He was so good on the glass. And in that third quarter where they were making a run, they were targeting the um, you know the lack of size Sixers had, and they were getting close shots. And with Paul in there, like obviously he's not the intimidating uh, 
defensive presence that Joel is, but he's still big enough to where like he did, deterred some of those looks and he kind of prevented, you know, the, the heat from making a run where it made things interesting. Like his play was just huge in that game. And I, you know, he's a guy that you continually have to let him work through his woes. And I get that that is tough for a contender to do. And it seems like something Doc Rivers really doesn't want to do, but all in all, I think he's someone that, especially down the home stretch of the season should continue to get looks. Like if you have more of a, preference for Tucker as the backup center. I get it. It's very, it's a much different look, but it's one where they have held on just by their ability to score, score, score. But I think with Paul, with the, you know, rebounding issues, the team still has the, you know, the different looks that he can bring the, uh, obviously I said, he's still like kind of raw on offense, but he at least does have a good sense of like, not just rushing a shot. You know, he can come down with it. He can try to get a shot to go, um back up he can hit jumpers now apparently he's had two straight games with a nice looking jumper um i don't think he's gonna stretch his shot profile out that far not especially to the three-point line where he did in the g league like it's just way different speed but all in all even if he's just scoring in the paint like i feel like he can just bring you know again it will take a playing with a playmaker like harden to help unlock him but i think with harden as like the leader of the bench unit and him as the center like it also helps defensively like he's just able to you know kind of clean up the messes that people uh find themselves in especially cleaning the glass too is huge so yeah i i like what i've seen from paul recently and he's always up and down but he's also always entertaining where he yeah that play where he put his foot on the ball to deter jimmy from getting a layup was a legitimately like great smart play that like i don't think many guys would think to do it's like only like paul reed would make a play like that it was great and that was it was a joy to watch him that game and i you know i think that if you cut him out of the lineup come playoff time, I would more so get it. But like, you got to give him the chance to prove he can play in these high level games. Yeah, I love him, man. He's he's so entertaining out there. Like, I love every single second of watching him play basketball. Mm-hmm. And it is madness. It is unorthodox. He's one of the just even the jump shot. Like, I I absolutely loved that mid range jumper uh, last night against the Mavericks. But yeah. first off, to even take that, like, there was like twenty seconds left on the shot clock. It was like. <laughs> kind of a good look but it wasn't like he was wide open and he just like you know no hesitation pull up on his little like foot in front of each other kind of jump shot or whatever he's got going on there yeah. but yeah he did shoot 40 percent from three in the g league I, I know it's weird it doesn't make sense but he did do it and uh he did win g league mvp so there's got to be something there i still mm-hmm. am a, a paul reed believer and i am seeing like offensively i mean he's turned into an absolute like screen machine on offense. Like he is all over the place, just setting screens, calling for the ball. He'll set like five or six per possession. It's ridiculous. But uh, it is that energy that I just love. And, and that is it on both sides of the floor is he's always going to bring it. You see him like zeroed in looking at the ball for the entire 24 seconds of every shot clock possession on both sides of the floor, him kind of hunting when it's in transition. And the rebounding is a real thing. Like this is a, a team that needs rebounding help has for this year specifically and even in years past and paul will try for every single rebound like he'll, he'll compete for it and there's something to that kind of like that energy i know it can't be like put into a specific category or whatever but that is like super impactful to a game and he brings it every single night so i i, I mean he's not perfect once again but like i, I you got to keep rolling with him until he proves that he can't i feel yeah the, they are just built to be a a bad offensive rebounding team specifically like this is a down rebounding year for joel and the rest of the guys they have are like bigger but not big enough to always get um positioning and on offense like joel is obviously taking a lot of jump shots which like he should he's good at it i'm not buying the complaints from the older guys on tnt like whatever they want to feel is whatever but like 
PJ Tucker, God bless him for trying, but he's not going to come away with 16 rebounds every game like he did against the the Celtics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so someone like Paul, like he's not only good at like you know cleaning up those possessions on defense, but also getting the Sixers those rare second chances because it just feels like they, you know, they come down the floor and it's you know over an instant because Joel like can fight on the boards with anybody, but he's often not in that position to do so. And again, it makes sense given his shot profile. But yeah, someone like Paul just gives them a different look and I feel like you know he might struggle in bigger games so you might not want to play him down the stretch but I also feel like he has the skill set and the the physicality and the size to at least get looks in the beginning of the games and down the home stretch of the year where they'll face a lot of really good teams Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think Doc Rivers will ever do this or ever really consider it but would you give any thought to putting Paul Reed on the floor and next to Joel giving him the role of being kind of like the do the dirty work go compete on the boards, give a burst there. Is that that's something you think could work? I think the, the the big concern there is obviously the spacing, but with Joel operating mostly at the nail in the high post, having uh, Paul just as like a baseline guy, run baseline to baseline, get boards, I think it actually might make some sense. Again, defensively, you're asking one of those guys to guard in space, and like it's tougher because you don't want to make Joel do that all the time, and that's where I feel like Paul is most prone to fouling, and he's already a very foul-prone player but i think it would be an interesting look i think to see it this late in the season would be shocking but again this is the time where even if for like a few minutes in the first half you want to experiment with something i think you know putting them alongside three good shooters those two big men i think would be interesting and the spacing wouldn't be necessarily as bad because like obviously with paul's man if you bring you know if you sag him off it means joel is more likely to go one-on-one or kick it out to a shooter if you show it that that means he's able to dump it off and i feel like he's made Plenty of those looks before where he's got his head up looking at the hoop, but he sees someone open quickly, dump, uh, dumps it down to him. So, yeah, that would be uh, an interesting look. I would like to see it. Again, I don't think Doc will, but I would be interested to see it. Yeah, that's how I feel. Is uh, I, I think it's worth at least trying, seeing what happens. And it's just looking at it from like a, a schematic standpoint from how the Sixers operate. Like they essentially run five out with Joel at the nail is kind of the way things structure. And when that is the case, like you're just not going to get any offensive rebounds. Like there's just not a chance there. So I think just and, and PJ Tucker does weasel his way in and try and kind of compete every once in a while. But there's just like when you're running that style of offense and the, the floor spacing is what it is, you have just zero chance of getting a, a, an offensive rebound or, or getting any extra possession. So throw a little madness in there and make something happen. I think it'd be a cool just kind of change up or worth a shot. And uh, the last piece of the backup center puzzle is Dwayne Dedman. And we still have yet to see him in a Sixers uniform. He It feels like he injured his hip like immediately upon arriving in Philadelphia. But or do you think Dedman is going to get some minutes? Are you optimistic he could fill a role? And what's kind of your, your feeling on it as a whole? I'm not optimistic that he can fill a role. I think he does bring more like traditional center size because he is a, a bigger guy than yeah. everyone besides Joel. So, and he's, you know, got the ability to rebound. Uh, PJ's talked about his ability to communicate on defense, which is really big. So I'm sure Doc will give him some time once he's ready for it, but I don't anticipate that he um, is going to be ready come playoff time. And, you know, with Paul playing so well, you know, either have to like kind of put him back down or you have to, you know, risk putting Denman out there. And I think he, you know, the problems he had with the heat, like it showed, like they dumped him to the Spurs at the deadline. So I don't anticipate he'll have a, a big role. And I, think you know keeping a roster spot open to use it on him in favor of one of the best shooters in the league is a very very tough look so i think you know denman is that veteran presence that they want but i would be shocked if he is a regular in the playoff rotation 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I want to just see him on the court. Like, if, I, I'm not. I don't even know if it's going to to happen at this point. Like, if he is injured and this is a long term injury stretching out, like, what a waste of a roster spot. And like, yeah, especially in a I, the Isaiah Joe things a, like a whole different conversation. Like, obviously, this aged well, and I, I also don't like bow down to the conversation of like yes the thunder are rebuilding and have more opportunity but like if you can't find a way to get like a shooter of his caliber in the lineup like that's more telling on the sixers than anything and, and for um, nothing too. yeah and for nothing just releasing him just giving him away and then like from the buyout thing like we're talking about there's guys like will barton and patrick beverly and like just not that the, any of these guys are like game-changing talents but like guys that you can play in your rotation and to if Deadman is what you're getting and he ends up never suiting up or Paul Reed is clearly better than him, like it's still a waste of a roster. And like, I, I feel like I get it's like the 15th spot and we're just kind of complaining about it, but those things kind of matter when looking at things and that can be the difference. So it has been frustrating. Yeah. It's interestingly, Kevin Love was one of the guys that like, when I first saw his talk with the Sixers, I'm like, that doesn't really make sense, but it would be very interesting. Like I, George has been good. And at this recent stretch, I'm not trying to like, I'm trying to not let it cloud my memory because he's still been so good this year with his shooting and the team plays so well in his minutes. He's been so big in like clutch games down the stretch with his shooting, but also Kevin Love, you know, he's a guy that when his shot isn't falling can still make plays. He is a very good rebounder still at his age, which George is not. Um, His outlet passing, especially, you know, at the time, Max was still on the bench. So, like, his ability to throw those outlet passes is, like, gives him another outlet aside from just hard. And that one pass he threw to Hero, um, it was thrown towards the baseline where media sits, and it was, like, just over the Anthony Sands. It was so perfectly placed. And I thought when I saw them talking, I'm like, all right, he's obviously not going to be a main piece of the offense, but that's something that could, like, help get Maxi going more. And I think my thing was, like, well, one, they already signed Deadman, but also, like, you're not going to play him and George. You're going to have to play one of them. And George has been pretty solid. So he was like the one rare buyout guy that like made sense. Uh, obviously it makes more sense for him to go to the heat. Now he gets to yeah. start on a, not a, a team that's as good, but a team that is still probably going to be a, a playoff team. But yeah, it's, you know, anytime you look to the buyout market for like a real fix, it's, it's not a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're at kind of like the stage in the season where it's now like, we're finding out who each team is and it's kind of weird. I still don't really know like how I feel about the Sixers team. And like there's nights where they can step up, look awesome when they're playing their best. It feels like no one can beat them. And then there's nights where they just flat out don't show up in it and they play poor basketball and it is just not fun to watch. So kind of what's your temperature on, on where this team is at right now? To me, they are better suited to compete for a championship better than they have in the last few years, but they're still not on that upper echelon with the Celtics and the box like they're peeking their heads over they can see more of like what they need to do and they're closer to it but they're still not quite there and i don't you know the the regular season matchups with the Celtics obviously suggest that they don't have what it takes but like regular season and playoffs like can be kind of different and like the Celtics did kind of have to like squeeze their rotation more to play the Sixers so that is at least a pretty good takeaway it took you know a great shot from Tatum it, you know obviously again the problems we discussed earlier with players getting open shots, but it still took Al Horford hitting five second half threes for them to be able to take it down. And I'm not going to tell anybody like how to like enjoy the team. But I think like, if you look at games like the Celtics loss and you're like, well, this is why they can't compete. I think it's only fair that you look at games like against the nuggets and be like, that's a game where why they can compete because like either the regular season 
matters or it doesn't. I tend to be more like it lean toward it doesn't matter. So like, yeah, losing to the Celtics uh, stinks. There was some, you know, good takeaways, some bad, but overall, like they're showing that they're very good on both sides of the ball, even with all the like obvious problems that they show. You know, a lot of that is just having a guy like Joel who's having an amazing year. James Harden has not only been good, but has adjusted the way like he is needed to being more of a playmaker, being more of a catch and shoot guy. Tobias did have that transformation early on. It feels like he's kind of lost his way. So if they can get that back, that would be huge. I think, again, like I said, they're, they're closer to winning a, a championship than they have been in years past, but they're still, you know, overall not on the level of the Celtics or the Bucks, which I understand the frustrations. Um, I really do. But I think that this is still like a good team and they are, you know, them beating one of those two teams would be an upset. But I think yeah. they're better suited to pull off that upset than they have been in years past. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I, I also feel like it pretty much doesn't matter what they do in the regular season from like a perception standpoint. Like I don't think anybody's gonna believe it until they get it done in playoffs. Like they could be right. like sitting like 16-0 right now, and I still think people would be like, I need to see it in playoffs. Right. Even if they had beaten the Celtics, no one would be like, Oh, they finally figured it out. Like again, right. I get the frustrations from losing that game. It was it was tough, but yeah, the regular season, it doesn't matter nearly as much. You would love to win those games, but ultimately, like you said, it's they make their money in the postseason. Yeah, and uh, one of the guys that is going to be heavily on the shoulders of the postseason is James Harden. You brought him up there. He's playing very well, shooting career high from three. Uh, he's got a little bit of burst back. The passing is as advertised, if not better. Do you make anything of kind of these constant rumors that seem to be clouding throughout the season about, like, eyeing up Houston or wants to come back or not sure what his future and what's kind of your mindset on that to me I mean the the rumors being reported by you know all the big outlets is kind of like very weird to see but I you know I don't think his stance on Houston has changed since he left it was always that's home to him he rose to superstardom there he you know uh, has just built so much there that obviously the thought of going you know home I know it's from California but going back to his home like kind of makes sense but um it seems like all these rumors have the caveat of depending on what happens with the Sixers. And even if they do lose in the second round, like they give him a much better shot to win unless he is able to recruit some a star to go to Houston. Like it's it's just funny to hear those rumors when they are literally the worst team in the, the league. They cannot figure out anything. And they just traded the guy who played with James for a while. Like it was um, – I think it was more of a rumor than a report, but it was like, hey, Eric Gordon is still there, so James could at least team up with one of his old, you know, co-stars from the Rockets, but they traded him, and he's under contract with the Clippers, so it's not like he could even – I don't even know if the rules would allow him to go back to Houston. But anyway, like, I'm not super bi- – like, I buy that they're valid, but it doesn't feel like it's an inevitability. Like, it's – a lot of it is – you know, you got to show Harden the money. He took that pay cut. Now he wants to get one more payday while he's still a star, which totally understand. So I think, you know, the Sixers are not built to go on a playoff run. But if they show more promise and if they are willing to pay James, like they got under the, the luxury tax, they avoided the repeater tax. And that is seemingly, you know, Daryl mentioned the guys he has to resign this offseason. James is like number one priority. So I would imagine that they're willing to commit maybe not a five year deal or whatever, but, you know, the max AAV for yeah. at least a few years. So I'm not super worried about that yet, but obviously uh, depending on the playoffs, that outlook could could change quickly. 
Yeah, it's annoying. It keeps showing up that they. It feels like like every couple of weeks there's a new little blurb out or a new little message. I mm-hmm. do buy that there's at least some sort of something there. Like I, 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 he for sure definitely loved being in Houston. That's definitely home to him, like you mentioned. And I, I, I guarantee there's a respect both ways in terms of the the organization. But I think how this year wraps up is more or less going to decide what the priorities are for James. Because if he still wants to win, if that's his desire. I don't really see any location around the NBA where he can p- play as significant of a role on still a contending team. And it's especially not in Houston because they're still several years away from even being in the, that conversation. So mm-hmm. if he wants to like cement his leg, if it's about legacy at this point, going back to Houston is not going to do that for you. Like you're not going to kind of chase those demons, have a chance at a ring. You're just going to kind of go out, chill out and have a good time, which if that's what he wants, if he wants to make that money, that more power to you that is definitely on the table but i do think like it all depends on kind of how everything ends this year and and i would appreciate if it just kind of like went away until that happened <laughs> yeah it, it would be weird for i mean again if he really does want to go home if he just misses houston and he's kind of realized that like you know winning a championship like is not going to happen with him then there's nothing really philly can do and i understand maybe like if he still like if he still does have that desire to win the um the feature that your own Weitzman wrote for Fox Sports earlier in the year it really felt like the takeaway was that Harden is he was broken by the last playoff loss and he is just like dying. It's at the forefront of his mind, as it should be. It's like, you know, at the forefront of like Joel not everyone's mind. So he's in that right mindset. And if something changes and he just is like, forget this, I just want to go back to Houston, like that's obviously a very tough look for him. It makes it seem like his desire to win wasn't real, but I feel like it is. So I'm not buying the, again, I, I think the reporting is legit, but I don't think it's an inevitability that like you better win or he's going like, if you give him, if the front office is willing to pay him again, pay him a big contract, I think it's, you know, the right opportunity for him to at least try to compete. You know, it it ultimately is what does he want to do with the rest of his, you know, kind of the tail end of his prime. Yeah, for sure. And James Harden is very in control of uh, what their chances are winning are. So if, if winning is what you want, like you are very, very much in control of giving the Sixers the best chance to do that. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see the season wind down. Looking ahead a little bit at the schedule, they have the, the matchup with the Bucks next. That is kind of their next chance at a, a statement game. Do you think the Sixers have a chance at, at pulling an upset off there? And would that kind of uh, be the statement that you're, you're hoping for from them? I think so. I mean, it would, again, like same, it's going to go so far in the regular season. Like obviously you would like to see them have these big wins. I think pulling, they haven't played Milwaukee in Milwaukee yet. So that would definitely be a very big win. And I think like, again, they are talented enough. They've had, they, their games against them this year have been weird earlier in the season. Joel was horrible and they almost won like a super low scoring game. And then Harden and Maxi got hurt and they still put off a, a second half, uh, win in Philly it's obviously you know after two tough road games I'm sure they're batted up a little bit but yeah I think it'll be a very interesting very fun game you know they'll have the rest day today um so yeah I think they've got the the chance to pull off an upset there it's going to be tough they're the hottest team in the league but to snap that winning streak on the road during a a road trip for them I think would be a huge win and with the way Tyrese is playing right now like I think that he is just perfectly in that um groove where as long you know Joel and James working together and they've got him to play off of. Like, I feel like they have the talent to beat anybody on any given night. And although Milwaukee is like one of the toughest places to win right now, I think that they've got what it takes to pull off that win. 
Yeah, I would love to see it. And yeah, like you said, 16 in a row now. They've been playing some phenomenal basketball. Very deep team, very established team, and one that's uh knows how to win, has been doing it for a couple years now. But it does to me feel like a, a sixery kind of upset opportunity. Like they, they kind of have blown a couple chances at some significant games, like that Celtics game. Uh, the Heat game was a, a frustrating one, the one that they did lose. It, it's been a b- bizarre stretch. I feel like this might be next up as far as a, a chance to get one. And then just looking beyond it a little, they kind of have their, I don't even want to say break because none of these are, are cakewalk games by any means, but this is probably their most winnable stretch for the remainder of the years. Uh, back-to-backs on Monday, Tuesday at Indiana, at Minnesota. Then they play the Trailblazers, Wizards, Cavs, Hornets, Pacers, and then uh, back-to-back against the, the Bulls before they go to the, the West Coast and have a, a stretch against the Suns, Warriors, uh, Mavericks, and a couple other tough teams. So they got to capitalize here. It's a brutal stretch to end it. And, uh, yeah, I guess we're this is our opportunity to kind of truly see what this team is made of. Definitely, yeah. It's a very interesting stretch. All, so much of it on the road. Like, this is – they have the, the toughest schedule in the league by all the factors you can. They're playing very good teams on the road, and they're playing more games than almost anybody right now. So they obviously need to take care of business against teams like uh, Indiana and Minnesota and, you know, being able to pull off wins in, say, you know, Phoenix and Denver, too, is another one. Like, yeah, a lot of big games coming up, and it's, you know, as tough as you could have drawn it up, but I think it'll be very telling to see, you know, what this team is really made out of and, you know, the way, I, like I said, the way I see it now is they're better than in years past, but still not on that level. And I don't think they'll prove to be on that level until they do it in the playoffs. So they can only go like so far with this stretch. But if they, you know, with so many away games, with you know, a few back-to-backs, like if they're able to string together a nice little winning streak or even just like look competent in all the games, I think that would be very big for them in terms of building momentum before very important playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. So we will see it. They will be back tomorrow in action. Sam, thank you for hopping on and chatting uh, with me. Let everybody know where they can find your work on Clutch Points and everywhere else. Yep, they can find me on Twitter at BySamDGiovanni, covering the Sixers and other sports, mostly the Sixers, at um, ClutchPoints.com. Sean, again, thank you for having me, bro. It was good to be back. Very yeah. excited to see what this the rest of the regular season holds for them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank all you guys for watching. Make sure to drop a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Just about to hit that 1,000 mark. So if you can be the one that uh, get us there, that would be awesome. So I appreciate you guys, and we'll talk next time.